Find the book of Nahum. Now, if you can't find Nahum, that's okay. Most people can't. Just go to Malachi and go left. It's right before Habakkuk. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, okay? We're going to read one verse. One verse of Scripture from verse 3 in chapter 1. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. I said Wednesday evening that a wise old preacher once told me, when you don't know what to preach, preach about God and preach about Jesus. And folks, that's good advice. It's proven to be good instruction over the years, and that's what I'm going to try to do today. This one verse that we read has so much in it. It is just full. You could preach probably several messages from that one verse. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to do that this morning. But you probably could. And the very first thing this verse has to say, now this is not the main part that I want to get to, but we're going to get to it eventually. The very first thing this verse has to say about the God we serve is what? The Lord is slow to anger. And aren't you thankful that He is? The Lord is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. That word long-suffering just means that He will suffer a long time. He will suffer with His people a long time. I think a perfect example is the nation of Israel and how God put up with all of their lapses of faith and their rebellion and their idolatry and the things that they did, and God waited and waited and tried to bring them back and ultimately had to allow them to go into Babylonian captivity, at least the southern two tribes. But Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. We're familiar with Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, which said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has Jesus not come back yet? That verse right there tells us. God wants people to be saved. If the Lord comes back, when the Lord comes back, not if, when the Lord comes back, those who have not accepted Him as Savior are going to be left behind on this earth to endure some horrible, horrible times, and then they'll spend an eternity in hell. So God is long-suffering. He's putting up with a lot today. I don't know how much longer He'll put up with it. But Jesus is coming back. And then next it says this, He is great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. You know, throughout the Old Testament, He's referred to as El Shaddai. We sing that song sometimes, El Shaddai. What does El Shaddai talk about? It talks about the all-powerful one. God has all power. God is almighty. Over in the New Testament, that word refers to the ruling one. It's telling us that our God, the God that we worship, the God who loves us, the God who sent His Son to die on Calvary, is a sovereign God. He is a universal sovereign. You know, I've said over the years, and I believe this with all my heart, whatever God does is right. Amen. Doesn't matter what He does, whatever God does is right because He is God. And He is sovereign over the entire universe. And every person, every human being is going to stand before God at one of two places. Those of us who are saved will stand before Him and give an account of our lives at the judgment seat of Christ. I was telling the Sunday school lesson, this is one of the things that drives me as a pastor and 
preacher being careful about what I preach because I know I'm going to give answer for what I've preached and how I've led the Lord's churches at that judgment seat of Christ. But every child of God, the scripture says, we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account of what we've done, whether it be good or bad, whether we've served him or whether we've been unfaithful. And so we need to be faithful to God. But then there's the great white throne judgment of God in which all who are lost will stand before him. I think we have a picture of that great white throne. I think I mentioned this last week there in the seventh chapter of Matthew when, and I don't know if people will be able to offer excuses to God or plead their case before God at the great white throne. I'm not sure that'll happen. But Jesus said that many would say to him, haven't we prophesied or preached in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonderful works in your name? He'll say, I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. You that work iniquity. And he indicates right there doing works to try to be saved. You know what it's called? Iniquity. What is iniquity? It's sin. But everybody is going to appear before the creator, before the sovereign God of the universe. And then he says this. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. You know what he's saying there? God displays his power. God displays his power in the whirlwind and God displays his power in the storm. The whirlwind talked about a tempest, much like a tornado. The storm talked about something like a hurricane. And both of these are just horrible storms. I included some pictures for you. I actually stood under that forming funnel cloud and took a picture of it. Not the smartest thing to do, but (laughs) had to do it. But these are horrible storms. Just think of the mighty power of the lowest class of a tornado. See, for years I was a certified storm spotter. You know what those are. Those are the nuts who, when they sound off the tornado sirens, we get in our cars and go out and look for them. And so for years I was certified to do that. The lowest class, an EF0 or an EF1 tornado, has wind speeds of up to 110 miles per hour. An EF4 or an EF5 can have wind speeds up to 200 miles per hour. We were sitting in our house one day. I was. Joni was at work. We got a tornado warning. And I started following it on my computer. And it's coming right toward our house. And I remember that morning very clearly. and Going and opening the front door to look out. And then having to put all of my body weight against that door. To close that door. And then the sound of the wind whistling around that door. As that thing, it didn't touch down, it moved over us, but later became an EF2 tornado and did a lot of damage. Down some trees, giant oak trees. That's the power of a small storm. Think about Moore, Oklahoma. Y'all remember Moore, Oklahoma, and when the EF5 hit there? The destruction looked like a war zone. That's one storm. God has his way in the whirlwind. And God has his way in a storm. A category one hurricane has winds up to 95 miles an hour. A category five can reach up to 157 miles per hour or higher. And the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says this of a category one. It's a very dangerous storm and the winds will produce some damage. But of a category five, there's a catastrophic damage will occur. Now, why do you point all of that out, Brother Jim? Because the scripture says God has his way. God demonstrates his power in these storms. And an EF5 tornado, remember 200 mile an hour winds, is just an infinitesimal part of the power of God. 
How powerful is God? He's all powerful. If he can allow or create or send or however he does it, a tornado or a hurricane with that kind of power, just think of the power that is in the hand of God, the mighty power that's in the hand of God. But I don't want to lock in on the storms. I don't want to this morning lock in on the fact that everybody's going to appear before God. And I don't even want to lock in on the part of his long suffering. I want to lock in on the last part of this verse this morning. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. The clouds are the dust of his feet. How great is God? I don't know about you, but I like watching clouds. Clouds interest me. One thing we did as children was to lie on our backs on the ground and look up at the clouds and just imagine various things. And you know, every once in a while, I still like to do that. Now, at my age, you don't lie out there too long because a neighbor will see you and they'll call 911 <laughs> and then they'll come and check on you. Well, if you ever want some attention, just lie on your back on your front lawn and you'll get the neighbors calling. But just look at the clouds. You notice another picture up there. I looked at one cloud one time. I said, you know, that just looks like an angel floating over us. And so we like to look at the clouds and imagine various things. One may look like an animal. One may look like a person. Science says that clouds, let me get this definition right, clouds are a mass of water drops or ice crystals suspended in the atmosphere formed when water condenses in the sky and that condensation lets us see the water vapor. Well, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But here's what I know. Nahum says the clouds are the dust of his feet. The clouds are the dust of God's feet. I think of different things when I think about the clouds, when I consider the clouds. I look at the clouds and I think what's far beyond the clouds. See, there's a whole lot of what we call deep space, far beyond the clouds. We look up into the sky and understand that there's an unlimited expanse of space. And in that expanse of space, there's millions of solar systems and there's millions of stars and there's millions of moons. And so when you look at that, you say, well, where did that come from? And you have to confess that that came from an all-powerful creator. Amen. It came from God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so everything that we can see, everything that we can know came from God. And as we consider that, we have to consider his power. That all God has to do, and this is what the scripture does, God spoke. And it came into existence. How mighty is just the voice of God, the power of God, as he just speaks and brings things into existence. And the things that I see and the things that I cannot see, God created. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood. How seen? Clearly, okay? Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know what God's saying? He said, I put evidence of my existence and my creation in the heavens. And I put it in this universe. And all you have to do is look around and you can see. I don't see how anybody can look at the universe, look into the stars, look into the skies, look at the clouds, look at just life itself, how the human body works and say, there is no God. Or how anybody with just a little bit of intelligence or a whole lot of it could accept Darwin's theory 
of the creation of the universe. In fact, that's what it was as a theory. It's not science. It just blows my mind that somebody would say that. There has to be a creator. And then I consider the Bible's account of creation and how if you read the book of Genesis, notice how God laid things out. He created the light before he created the plants. Why did he create the light before he created the plants? Because the plants have to have light to grow. He created the plants before he created the animals. Why did he create the plants before he created the animals? Because the animals had to have something to eat. And so on and so forth. As God creates in a beautifully pictured order. Because God is a God of order. This whole creation. So how could anyone deny the creator or the creation? And then you know what that tells me? That tells me how intelligent biblical faith is. Biblical faith is an intelligent faith. You know, people have faith in a lot of things. People have faith in politics. People have faith in governments. People have faith in so many different things. But there's one place you need to put your faith, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. The intellectual today wants to deny the Bible to make him look smart, while all the time he's making himself look ignorant as far as the things of God are concerned and as far as things that are understandable. There is a God. He created all of this. And then when I think about faith and I think about the Word of God, you know where it leads me? It leads me right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't think about the Word of God and you can't think about the fact of faith without thinking about the Lord Jesus. It causes me to think about Hebrews chapter 11 where it says without faith. It's impossible to please God for he that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, you can't come to somebody you don't believe in. And so you must trust God. You must believe in Him. You must know that He exists. And then once you start thinking about that, think about God and think about Him rewarding people that trust Him and look to Him. You know what I think about? I think about John 3, 16. The great love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I think about God's saving faith that exists in His only begotten Son. That Jesus came and willingly went to the cross and gave Himself there as a sacrifice for our sin debt. And that we, because of God's love and because of God's mercy, can have everlasting life. And then I think about Christ's coming, you know what I think about? I think about His coming again. Jesus came, yes. Yes, He died. Yes, He was buried. Yes, He came forth out of the tomb. And yes, He ascended into heaven. But that's not the end of the story. He's coming back. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. One day soon, my Savior, your Savior, if you've repented toward God and put your faith in Christ, is going to split these clouds. I, may, I hope I'm looking up at the clouds when that happens. I, I want to be a lot of places when Jesus comes back. I want to be in the pulpit preaching. I want to be lying on my back on the ground looking up at the clouds. I don't know how I can do both. But I want to be doing both of those things when the Lord returns. But He's going to split those clouds apart. He's coming in the clouds. First Thessalonians 4 verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. What's that shout going to be? I have no idea. Maybe it's come. 
Maybe it's come up. Maybe, like he said to Lazarus, come forth. I also think for some of us, it may be wake up. (laughs) But he's coming with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain. The scripture says shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Whatever the shout is, I know that whether living or dead, folks, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to hear that shout and you're going to hear that shout. And I pray that everyone who hears this message and hears my voice has that same assurance. One of these days I'm going to hear the Lord shout. So we're going to talk about clouds. And for the next few minutes I want to consider the almighty God who created everything. From the most distant galaxy to the nearest cloud. And I want us to understand that the clouds are the dust of his feet. When I think about God and the cloud being the dust of his feet, I think of this, that the way of God is often a hidden way. The way of God is often a hidden way. The Lord, it says, hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. Now, I like what Spurgeon said about that. He said this, when God worked his wonders, he always conceals himself. Even the motion of his feet causes clouds to arise. And if these clouds are but the dust of his feet... How deep must be that dense darkness which veils the brow of the eternal. We can only see what God does. We can't see God. We can see the cloud, the the dust of his feet, the word of God says. We can't always see how he's working. You know, the old saying is that hindsight is always 20-20. We can look back on something and say, oh, I see how God brought me through that. I see how God brought me out of that. And then when we're facing something, we say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but just like Israel. God brings them out of Egypt, gets them up to the Red Sea. There's the Red Sea. Well, we can't cross. The Egyptians are coming after us. God's brought us out of here to kill us. God parts the Red Sea. They go across. The Egyptians are destroyed in the Red Sea. Then they want water. And they say, well, God's brought us out here to kill us thirst. So God lets water come out of the rock and he takes care of them. They go a little bit farther. Well, we want something to eat. We're going to starve to death. God provides them food, provides manna, provides angel food. And they're always questioning, folks, we're the same way. Instead of looking forward to what the problem, we need to look back and see how God has taken care of us in the past. That's what he's talking about here. John 1, 8 says, no man hath seen God at any time. And that's true. But speaking of the Lord, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 16, Whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. God is mighty. He's all-powerful. He's everlasting. See, our minds can't even conceive that. God is eternal. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) He has no beginning. He has no ending. I won't believe that preacher because I can't see how that works. Well, I can't either. That's what faith is. It's trusting God's word, taking God at his word. God said he's eternal. Yeah, I believe he's eternal. I don't understand it. I like what Vance Havner said. I don't understand how electricity works, but I'm not sitting around in the dark till I do. We'll walk over and flip on a switch and have light in the room. Explain it to me. Well, I can't, but you use it. Listen to what God says through Isaiah and Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God is so far above us. We can't even imagine his thoughts. Paul says it this way in Romans 11, verses 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? How's God working? How's God doing things? We don't always understand. But here's what we can rely on. He's God and he's always going to care for his children. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Just think about how God revealed himself in the matter of salvation for a moment. What did the Jews get? Well, they got Genesis chapter 3 where it says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. Okay, so they may not have fully understood that. So he gives them prophets. and Like Isaiah who says a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And Then he says in Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And that's what the Jews had. He gives a description of him in Isaiah 53. And by the way, they're not allowed to read Isaiah 53. I've heard from Jewish teachers and preachers themselves that the rabbis don't want them to read Isaiah 53 because it's such an apt description of Jesus, who's the Messiah. And then we come to Galatians the fourth chapter, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, when everything was just right, God had said, and in all of the sacrifices, God had pointed to Jesus. Blood has to be shed. The innocent has to die for the guilty. Over and over and over again, and they couldn't see it. And then when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them, that wonder of the law. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that perfect? That's the way God is. That's the way He works. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ. How is God going to bring everything together? you got Jew and you got Gentile. You have sin in the world. I mean, how is God going to bring all of this and reconcile all of this in one? The Lord Jesus Christ. So at just the right time, angels told shepherds of his birth. At just the right time, a star guided wise men to where he was. At just the right time, God unfolded what we call the mystery of salvation And it's not a mystery, it is the grace of God. And then the scripture tells us that angels, angels themselves desire to look into that mystery of redemption. But until that hour at Calvary, they had no idea what it was when Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit from the body. Then maybe they understood. And they're still watching us as we worship God today. Consider the mystery of how God can be both the just judge and the justifier of the guilty. See, we don't understand that, do we? But God can be. And he is. And that is the mystery of godliness. How God has manifested in the flesh. Look at the Bible. Just read the history of God's people in the Bible. Who would ever conceive 
that a little old boy who'd made his brothers mad could get sold into slavery and be taken down into Egypt and in Egypt become the second greatest power in the nation and become the savior of the nation of Israel. But God did it that way. Who would suppose that the bringing of an enemy, the Babylonians, upon the land would ultimately bring glory to God? But you know what? The religious Jews today, there's two kinds. We were told when we were over there, there's two kinds of Jews. There's the religious and there's the non-religious. The religious ones today are not worshiping idols, folks. They may be caught up in a religion that's not what God started, but they're not worshiping stones and statues and Baal and, and these sorts of things today. And who could imagine that a harlot's blood and the blood of a Moabitist, Ruth, Rahab and Ruth, that their blood could intermingle into the line of the coming Messiah. God's ways are often hidden, folks. We always want to know what God's doing. We want to know the outcome. We want to know what God is up to. It's sort of like the story that Charles Spurgeon told about going into a foundry in Glasgow, Scotland. He said he walked in and there's all these wheels. And he tried to get an explanation of it from the engineer. And they said, well, this wheel turns this wheel and this wheel turns another wheel and this wheel turns another wheel. And you have no idea what any wheel is doing until you see the outcome of bar of steel. See, there's a lot of wheels going on in our lives. And we don't understand what this wheel is doing right now. But it's getting ready to turn another wheel. And there's another wheel going on. And all, with all of it, there is a final product. And you know what that is for those of us who say that God wants for us? That is Christ-likeness. God may allow some things into our lives as children of God to cause us to grow and to mature and be the child that he wants us to be. We may not understand individual wheels. We may only understand when we see the finished product. I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. We may ask why. Why was a life lost? Why was a job lost? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Folks, it's just wheels. Bringing us to that final finished product. For us to question God and question Him about what He is doing would be like an ant asking an eagle why he flies so high in the air. Or it'd be like a minnow wanting to question a whale. Folks, we can't understand fully the mind of God. There's only one thing we need to understand. You know what that is? But we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. God can take those wheels in our lives, whatever happens in our lives, and he can work them for our spiritual good and his glory. If we'll trust him, we'll let him. So the way of God's off in a hidden way. But the clouds are the dust of his feet. And great things with us are little things with God. You ever think about that? Great things with us are little things with God. Maybe not to you, but to some of us, I'm one of them. Clouds are great things. I said, I'm amazed. Because I love to watch clouds. If you've ever watched clouds build, you know, this, this cloud, it, it, it looks like a, just a stack of clouds going up higher and higher. 5,000 feet, 10,000, 15,000 feet. You know what that is? That's a thunderstorm building up. And the higher it goes, the more intense that thunderstorm is going to be. And the greater power it's going to have. 
And so I love to watch the clouds. And yes, I would love to see some clouds build up right now and sit back and watch that cloud build and get ready to drop the rain down upon us. We see them, they're white and fluffy in the sky. And then they gather and they turn dark. How does that happen? Oh, we have scientific explanations, but how does that happen? They gather and they turn dark and they produce a storm and it has lightning and it has thunder. We tremble sometimes at the mountains of clouds, but they're the dust of his feet. Oh, if we could just grasp that. If we would just understand that and we could sit down in awe of the great and mighty God who is going to be our judge. That the clouds are the dust of his feet. Consider this. The greatest things with man are little things with God. We call nations great. We live, I believe, in the greatest nation in the world. I don't think we're as great as we once were. We're losing some of that, folks. But we call nations Great, and we speak of mighty empires. Listen to what Isaiah forty fifteen says about it. They are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. You know, a great nation like America can turn her back on God, and she has, can turn her back on God so that, you know what, we're just a drop in the bucket. We're just dust. And God can remove this nation. From the face of the earth. And my honest opinion. I'm afraid he's getting ready to folks. I didn't expect any men's from that one. We call the islands great. You know. The island Maui has been in the news a lot. And I've heard for years. People wanting to go to Hawaii. And people wanting to talk about going to Maui and so forth. I've never been there. I've never really had a desire to go to Hawaii. But I've never been there. Fine if that, that was your island. But Listen. Here's what God says about the great islands. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Then we talk about men. Great and mighty men. You know, there was a time, I don't know if he still is or not, but there was a time the President of the United States was considered the most powerful man in the world. One man sitting in an office. The most powerful man in the world. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 says, It is he, talking about God, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Mr. President, in God's eyes, you're a grasshopper. We all are. We pale. There's not even a comparison. We pale in contrast to the glory and the might and the sinlessness of God. And yet we pick out people to be our heroes. Oh, I want to be, young people will. I want to be like him. I want to, you know, why do young people do the things? Why do they dress like they do? Why do they talk like they do? Why do they act like they do? Because they picked out a hero. I was thankful when I was growing up, we used to have a pastors and missionaries conference here. And I met two preachers. They, this was before we had a lot of hotels here and they stayed in our house and I got to be friends with them. Now that's not why I became a preacher but these were some of my heroes growing up. And I'm thankful I had people like that as heroes and not some of the folks that kids have as heroes today. Men who were godly and set a godly example. But we're impressed by things. We're impressed by planets millions of miles away. Well, who made the planets? <laughs> They're dropping the bucket, right? 
In God's sight, that's what they are. Here's what Spurgeon said about the planets. We get so impressed by them. We want to send space exploration to them. Spurgeon said, they're but little atoms dancing up and down in the sunbeam of existence. What's the largest planet in our solar system? Is I think Saturn. Is Saturn the largest? Or is it Jupiter? It's Jupiter. I'm sorry. I forgot my science. Jupiter, the largest planet in this universe. And people are amazed at Jupiter. You know what, how God sees it? It's just a little atom bobbing up and down in a little galaxy called the Milky Way. We believe we have great trouble. And we'll say, Lord, this is such a burden to me. But you know what? God might smile at us the way we do at a child trying to pick up something that's too heavy for them to pick up. Remember, the clouds are the dust of his feet. There is nothing great compared to God, folks. Nothing great compared to God. Now, there are some things that we consider little with men that are great to God, such as our sins. We sin against God, that's great. We call them little, but they're great to him. His mercies are great. Think about the great mercies of God that we enjoy and that we have sometimes taken advantage of in our lives. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. One of my favorite verses of scripture, and we'll get to this on Wednesday nights eventually. Years ago when I worked for dad and I was in the office, I made this, put this on a little card and I put it, on my desk to remind me. And then I realized, 1 Peter chapter 5, you really can't read verse 7 without reading verse 6. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Oh Lord, this is such a great burden. This is such a heavy burden. God said, just cast you. Humble yourself enough. Quit trying to take care of it yourself and humble yourself and put your burden upon me. Remember the clouds are the dust of his feet. Our burdens are but a drop in the bucket. And one child of God will say something like this. My troubles are so great. I have so many. I've got all of these problems. And, and you know, preacher, I just... Don't think I can bear it. And then you'll talk to another one who says, well, mine are just as bad. I've got just as many. But you know what? I'm doing okay. You know what the difference between those two children of God is? One has put his burdens on the Lord. And the other is trying to carry his burden by himself. Our troubles are nothing to God. The clouds are the dust of his feet. And this comforts me in the work of the ministry. You know that? Listen to this. This is Spurgeon's account of churches in England in 1855. See if this doesn't sound like it was written just the other day. So you may go from church to church and find scarcely any that are growing. Are we finding any that are growing today? I'm talking about true churches. Are we finding many that are growing today? Then he goes on. I'm afraid of this deadness, this sloth, this indifference that has come over our churches. The churches are gone to sleep for want of zeal, for want of fire. Even those who hold sound doctrine are beginning to slumber. Oh, may God stir the church up. Well, that sounds like it was written just, it was written 1855, almost 200 years ago. 
And God has sustained his churches through all of these days. But now listen to the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. What does it say? In latter times some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits. And doctrines of devils or doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 3 1. In the last days perilous times shall come. So they'll have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. 2 Timothy 4.3, the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. But folks, there's comfort. See, just because some church is going to be that way doesn't mean this one has to be that way. Just because some churches are going to be like the church at Laodicea or the church at Sardis or Thyatira or Pergamos, or even Ephesus doesn't mean we have to be that way. Because you see, there's comfort because the clouds are the dust of his feet. When others are moving away from God, we can move closer to God. We can enjoy his blessings. And then Spurgeon went on to say, I like this. He said, talking about God, he can raise up his chosen servants who have only to put their mouth to the trumpet and one blast shall awaken the sleeping sentinels and startle the sleeping camp. And folks, I want to be that servant. I played the trumpet. I may have to get my lip back. I played the trumpet when I was in junior high school. Haven't played it for, oh, I don't want to say how long, a long time. But we're not talking about, you know, just a trumpet like that. We're talking about trumpeting the word of God, folks. And if God's preachers today would get up in the pulpits and preach messages like Elijah did. And like Paul did. And even John said in 1 John chapter 2, I mentioned this in Sunday school. John said, if you're not obeying God, you better check your salvation. If you're not living for him, you might not be saved. You better make sure. And if we had preachers that would stand up before God's people and preach that today, God might be able to wake us up. So even the big things with us are little things to God. And finally, the most terrible things in life. I get all of this from looking at the clouds, from thinking about God's greatness. The most terrible things in life have no terror to a child of God. You know, sometimes clouds are frightening. I showed you the one that I stood under and took the picture and it was. It eventually became an EF2 and did a lot of damage. That cloud moved right over a school where I was working school security. I was standing at the back of the building and I saw it off to the southwest and it looked like a funnel on its side. And our chief of security was up front in the front of that building and I rapidly went to the front of the building to alert him. We didn't have radios. So I went to the front of the building to alert him. And by the time I got to the front of that building, this thing had turned and was beginning to form a funnel. That's frightening, especially when you have a school full of children when that comes over. So clouds can be frightening things, especially when they're dark and they're gathering. And throughout our lives, we face clouds of all kinds. All kinds of difficulties. I dare to say... Every one of us would have a story about some, probably more than one, difficult time in our lives. Sometime when the cloud just gathered and they became dark and we had difficulty after difficulty and we had problem after problem. But the clouds are the dust of his feet. It's where God can show his glory and God can show his grace and God can show his majesty. Think about this. 
The storm clouds that are over us, if they're the dust of his feet, where are they? They're under him. There's not anything that happens to us that God doesn't know about. He knows everything that goes on and he knows what we need and he loves us. You familiar with the account of Jesus calming the storm out on the Sea of Galilee? You know, first of all, he's walking up to the ship on the water. (laughs) And they got scared because they thought they saw a ghost. And he said, be of good cheer, it's me. What did Peter say? Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. Jesus says, come on. And Peter stepped out of that boat and he's doing something that he never imagined he could do. He's walking on water. But what does the scripture say? He noticed, he saw that the winds were boisterous. You know what he did? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the winds and the waves and everything else that was going on and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. That happens to us a lot of times. We get a problem. We say, Lord, I'm going to trust. I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to trust you in this problem, Lord. And then we take our eyes off God and we start to look around at the problem. Hey, folks, I'm speaking from the voice of experience. You give me one little problem like that and I can have it this big in no time. (laughs) I got some amens on that, didn't I? Because I can think this wheel turns this wheel and this wheel turns this wheel and this wheel turns this wheel and all of a sudden it's something way too big for this preacher to handle. But you know what Jesus asked? You know, he's down, he gets in the boat and he's down below sleeping in a storm. Jesus is sleeping. Well, he's not worried about it. These experienced sailors are. But Jesus is asleep. And they say, don't you care that we perish, Lord? And I love his answer. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? We get in the problem and we start fearing. We start getting afraid. The wheels start turning. We start blowing it out of proportion. And the Lord's just saying to us, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? And we have to look back and say, well, the Lord took care of me here. The Lord took care of me. God can take care of me in the middle of this. Folks, we don't have time to list all of the things that might terrify us, do we? I mean, I... Well, I don't bet. I imagine, I suppose that I could start over here with my dear wife and just go person to person around this room and we could all name something that would terrify us. I'll tell you what terrifies me the most. It's not dying. It's leaving my family. Causing them sadness. Hey, I'm going where there's no grief. I'm going where there's no tears. I'm going where there's no sadness. But to leave them, I want them to know that. And I guess that's why I decided the thought just came to my mind. When I go, I don't mean to. (laughs) It's just the Lord calling me home. Don't be sad. Rejoice, all right? We don't have time to list all the things that could terrify us. But listen to it, just a few. Psalm 23, 4. What did David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm going to face death, but I'm not going to be afraid. Because God's with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Hey, when you're on God's side, who do you need to be afraid of? Absolutely no one. He went on to say this. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Absolutely no one. 
Psalm 56 verse 4, In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. What is the very worst that flesh can do to us? Well, they can kill me. Yet if you're a child of God, that's a promotion. You're going to go and be with the Lord, okay? I know none of us like to think about death. That's a subject we don't like to consider, but we better. It's coming one of these days. Everybody that I'm talking to right now is going to die one of these days. You say, but the Lord may come back before I do. Well, this flesh is going to die. Okay? We just get it in our heads. Understand that. And by the way, the people we deal with on a daily basis, every one of them is going to die. I don't have time to, but I'm going to take the time to tell this. I don't know whether this is true or not, but I read it on Facebook. It has to be true if I read it on Facebook, right? I mean, this is absolute. But this person talking about seeing a man, he was not begging for money, but he was digging through trash cans to find food that people had thrown away from fast food restaurants just so he could have something to eat. So they bought him something at a fast food restaurant. He thanked them. He said, I prayed for you today. I said, you prayed for me today? Since I prayed that God would send me someone that would buy me a hot meal today. The man professed to be saved. This person said, I couldn't get him out of my mind, so I went back and I bought some McDonald's gift cards and gave to this man so he could have a meal. I thought, that's wonderful. We see people like that and we just sort of, you know, oh, okay, there's another... Now, there's some folks who make a living by getting out and begging. I understand that. But there's some folks who really need help and they need God's people to have some compassion and an op- gives us an opportunity to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 3.13, we had this Wednesday night, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? And then Paul remind us in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should not be afraid in anything because we don't have to face them alone. Matthew 14, 27, what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee, he said. John 14, 27, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's nothing that should terrify a child of God. And you know why? Because the clouds are the dust of his feet. And if the clouds are the dust of his feet, then how great is our God himself? How foolish is it to be outside of his will? Listen to what Hebrews 12, 6 says, For a child of God, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Listen. I don't want to be outside of God's will as his child. I've endured his chastening in times, and I don't want to endure it again. How foolish is it for a lost sinner to reject his love and his mercy and his grace if he is that powerful that the clouds are the dust of his feet. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will one day stand before him either, as I said earlier, at the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment of God. And so he said this, to those of us who are saved, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage each other. Pray for one another. Build each other up. And then to the lost today, if you'll hear his voice, harden 
not your heart. Because our text says this, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet.